Kim Schmidt, Managing Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to this episode of Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps podcast series. In this episode, brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC talks with Don Aberly, Senior Manager of Used Equipment from Titan Machinery. If you're tuning in for the first time, I encourage you to subscribe via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. By subscribing, you're alerted when each upcoming episode is released. Before we turn things over to Casey and Don, a quick word from Iron Solutions, who's making this podcast a reality. Iron Solutions provides dealers with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. Their Iron Search and Iron Guides are all about managing your dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. Don, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Casey. How are you today? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for being on. So, first question um, I always like to ask my guests is, give me a little background on yourself and a little background on, on Titan Machinery. A little background on myself. Uh, I've been with Titan for well, almost 17 years now, so it's been a while. Uh, had various roles throughout the company, uh, manager, store manager, been in sales for a while, run the outlet division. Now we're in charge of used equipment for Titan Machinery. But uh, my entire career has always been, at least with Titan Machinery, has been with used equipment. Used equipment is always one of those things in this business that no matter how big or small you are, that's always a, an issue that you have to keep your eye on. And tell me a little bit about your used equipment department and how that whole thing works. Well, I think, you know, as most of us have learned over the years, uh, we've just gotten a little bit better. I guess better would be the word or gotten smarter or um, the situation has dictated it to where we're doing a better job as far as buying equipment. Uh, the turning used equipment, I feel, is, uh, you know, I think we've heard it from numerous other people, but turning used equipment is buying it right to start with. You know, all the other stuff is secondary, but you got to buy it right. And I just think over the last, uh, you know, five, six years especially, um, you know, we just have to get back to the basics. And if you're going to go buy something, uh, have a plan for it before you buy it. Uh, know that our current inventory level across America is pretty full. And uh, your first place that you're going to market that piece is in your in your own backyard. I think we all got spoiled a little bit back in, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 to where you traded in. And uh, there's so much buyer demand that uh, it didn't matter, you know, where they're at there. Your machine was leaving your place. But we have to get back to the basics, knowing that our equipment needs to, if we're going to buy something, you got to have a plan for it locally. You can't have enough pre-planning when it comes to used equipment. You know, understand your washout cycle, what that looks like, and then really drilling down what, what's your plan going to be, which, you know, from the, the the first generation trade-in all the way through the end, what's that going to look like, and how many of those pieces can you take in, and how many can you absorb, and all those fun questions come into mind. So with the current situation now with, with the amount of new that's being sold, which is which is dramatically down from what it was, you know, obviously five years ago, how are your customers? For example, we have some customers here that probably were used buyers all along, but they had the money to buy some new stuff, and, and now they're wanting to trade their late model, low-hour stuff in on some more late-model, late, late low-hour stuff. How are your customers looking at, at their inventories they have on farm, and then how are you guys combating maybe some shortages in your in your used portfolio to, to help customers out? Well, you got a couple things going on there. You know, the first off is those tough conversations with the customers. Um, you know, bring them back to the basics, bring them back to uh, a normal trade cycle. Uh, 
those new buyers that we or those used buyers that we turn into new buyers. I mean, we sort of have to look in the mirror and blame ourselves a little bit, but it's back to that partnership type thing. Those hard discussions of should you really be trading right now or maybe wait for a couple of years. One of the big things that we're seeing now, because there was such an inventory level, you know, you had those and then lack of income uh, for the farm. You have that pent up uh, demand to trade. You know, and we just have to, again, back to those hard conversations. I mean, there was so much equipment sold in 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, just, uh, you know, and started tailing off a little bit. But, you know, us as dealers, uh, we we have a limited number of customers out there, and you can't take all that used equipment back on our books and maybe at the price to where it might be worth today because it's not selling today. Uh, you got to, you know, where is that customer going to be? Where is that next where are you going with your used equipment? And I just say I extreme caution from the standpoint of all the trade, all that pent up demand of farmers that want to trade stuff in right now. You know, what, what is that price point to where it's acceptable to the farmer and acceptable to the dealer? And those hard conversations will be had for a while. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any silver bullet, you know what I mean? Like, usually you can come together and everybody has a pretty good understanding of what the marketplace is, and I think that we have that now, whether you're on on the the, the customer end or if you're on, on the dealership end, I think a lot of guys just can't don't have the working capital or lines of credit to, to come out and, and buy the stuff where we need to buy it at so we can, A, bring it back in and sell it, and then not over leverage ourselves to the point where we're taking stuff to auction and and doing what we need to do so there there is a happy medium there but i'll be honest with you i'm having a hard time trying to find that where that medium is at oh we we all are and getting back to we talked a little bit about having a plan you know uh, if you know that you're buying that used trade and you have a home for it you pre-planned it can you push the envelope a little bit on the value and help out the first customer buy that new because you have a plan for the second one sure but if your plan is is not solid or not uh, real strong and you hope to sell it within 90 days or if you hope to sell it within 180 days, you need to be buying it at a different price point. Um, I think we've all experienced those gosh darn auction losses and it's just it's beyond me how we accept it. <laughs> right. No. No. It, it just, uh, we throw up our hand and we send it down the way and okay, we're not going to do that again. And then two years later, we're back in the same spot. You need to be more disciplined, need to do our own. Yeah, I think I wrote an article about it, but uh, do our own aggressive pricing. Um, why we consistently, and I understand man with in, in, you know, timing and reduce your inventory. I understand all those little things that you have to do, but through more tedious, type, whether it be monthly reviews, it's 60 day reviews, whatever it may be, but to force the issue of making sure our inventory turns and not sitting back and then throwing up our hands and sending to the auction because it, it's hurting our bottom line. It hurts the customer's values. It hurts the bankers. I, I mean, it's just, it's a cycle that uh, does not bode well. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm sure when you take a look at your inventory and, and you're looking at your stuff, especially when you're looking at stuff that's coming in on trade, I use, you know, I use what we sold stuff for in the past, or and I'm pretty limited on, on, on the time frame for that, but I don't try to look past, you know, 
nine months at the most, really, to kind of get what we sold stuff for for the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the past. And then, you know, of course, I go and compare that to if I have to punch my ticket, what's it going to look like? And that's that's whatever the current mar- auction value is. And um, I will say that it feels like to me that the auction value has really just kind of solidified a little bit. Oh, I, I, I keep saying the word soft bottom on this podcast over and over again, but that's kind of where I feel like it is because I think it's kind of hanging there by by a thread. I think that there is some. It would take you know one catastrophic event to kind of to cause a slide again, um, and it wouldn't. Right. It wouldn't. I don't think it would take too much of a of an event to make that happen. But it feels like things are kind of are, are leveling out auction to auction. I don't see anything out there that's that's really shocking me as far as. Um, swings and prices go the values like, yeah it seems like the values are pretty consistent you know um within i, I, I would agree with, agree with that uh, wholeheartedly on, on most of the categories i think there were still you know combines are still a little bit of an issue uh corn heads of course um but those sprayers those you know planters i mean there really hasn't been a i mean we all we might have a little bit of hangover as far as that some of that planter inventory those 20 24 rows but overall, I would agree with you, Casey. I think the the auction values, you know, to that point, we're not going to see the large swings. You know, I think we all can attest to maybe some of our hits were in that 15, 20, 25% range uh, to where now, uh, if we are sent into the auction, we're not seeing those large variances. Um, so I, I, I do feel that dealership inventory with the exception of a couple categories is uh sitting pretty good yeah and it feels like like too like there's um if i were to send something to auction today and it was in the next 30 or 45 days i feel like i could pretty much peg what it's going to bring i don't think that i'm going to be shocked by any means about what it is so you know which i guess so that goes you know goes back goes back to having that plan before you bought it. You know, if you have that plan ahead of time, I mean, hell, send it to the auction today or give yourself 30 days for a retail customer. But if there is no plan, uh, then buy it appropriately. Yeah. And there's some, there are some pieces out there that you have that, that is the plan. You know, it's an older piece that, or an oddball piece or something like that, that you're going to find your best, your best chance for that. And that might be taking that, that something to the auction but right. I mean, for the most right. part we're, we're a retail environment so i'm trying to work in there as much as we can but i'm also trying to keep our eye on the ball you know make sure that we've got good sellable inventory at good pricing that's that's in reason that's in good shape that we can turn around and sell and not too much of it we all know that yeah. when we have too much of the same model all it does is drive down margins that's right well yeah because then it's it's yeah just driving those pieces across the the various number of locations that we have and then and then being aware of what are you know what ultimately can we sell how many pieces can we sell of a certain unit right. and what that looks like and you know specs and everything else that go into that that's that plays such a large role into the overall machine population one of the things that you promote so well that i can't agree with you more is that washout cycle just, you know, whether it be whatever area you're in, if you know that you can only handle 25 combines, well, gosh darn it, don't sell more than five or six new ones. Right. You know, you don't run out and sell 12 of them. Yep. Uh, if your history of your area or your store is selling 25 to 30, it's so important to know as you promote your washout cycle, knowing when you're going to be clean. The other part of that, too, is, is what what is your washout cycle length and, and how are you going to go about shortening that length but still being able to be manual kind of back to your point about having a plan you know like in your example if, if you're going to sell 25 new ones 
or 25 used combines, you, you know, five or six is about all you're going to be able to do. If you sell 10, you, you should be calculated in that and that you understand what you're going to do with those extra four or five pieces that you have um, coming in uh, off that off that first generation roll. So it, that's that's the that's and the buy, biggest part. Buy them appropriately. Buy them appropriately. Uh, you take the ones that you know you can do something with. And you price those the way you need to price them, and the other ones you need to price at either some wholesale transaction where I can, I can call O'Don up and, and swap around some trades with him, or I, you know, if, if worst case scenario, your answer to that is is taking stuff to auction, then God bless you, but at least have a plan or an idea of, and what that risk looks like when you do that. I think that's again, we all this is not rocket science. I mean, it's basic business one on one buy right, sell right, take care of the customer. I mean, it's not about just buying at the lowest price. I mean, you got to have that partnership with that customer, as we all know. Uh, you need them to be fair with it. It's got, like with any transaction, uh, everybody's got to win just a little. You know, not yeah. win a lot, just win a little. Yep. Just enough to keep everybody's uh, wheels greased. Correct, correct. That's right. So, now... Let's take a look at that. We've kind of kind of hit on the auction market here a little bit. Look back over across 2017, and and what what's some takeaways you've you've taken so far? I mean, here we have probably the busiest auction month of the year coming up here in December. We're we're what what four days into it, so we've got a I'm, there's a couple auctions that I'm going to pay attention to. Um, one's a SEMA auction up there in Rochester, and then there's that. Um, Sinclair Tractor one in Sigourney, Iowa. Uh, they're both deer dealers that are that are doing some liquidation stuff on their lots there. But those have potential to be, you know, some game changers. But you know, I think again they have some late model low hour stuff that they're going to have on there. So that could that could have a pretty good draw and and um, kind of they're sandwiched between some fairly large uh, retirement sales. So that could also drive some behavior as well. But when you look back at seventeen and, and coming into December here, what what do you see as some as some high spots, and then what do you see as some as some key takeaways that you're going to pay attention to going into twenty eighteen? I'll first address the key takeaway. The key takeaway is is just that level of combine inventory, and that you know when I say level of combine inventory, I mean we still have some carryover from uh, in the past, but I just I get nervous of the eleven, twelve, and the thirteens that are going to be traded in. There is, you just feel that pent up demand for these guys that have not traded for three, four years. And they all, you know, maybe buy that 15, that 16, that 17. I mean, in those particular model years, I think we all can attest that, uh, hey, we're getting a premium for them because there's just not enough inventory in the marketplace. So I'm real comfortable with those. I'm real comfortable with maybe even pushing the envelope a little bit just because there is so much that was traded in or sold back in 11, 12, 13, 14, early 14. I mean, we just don't, there's not enough inventory. I mean, you look at what uh, was not sold in 14, what was not sold in 15, what was not sold in 16. I mean, we, you can see it across the board where new equipment sales are down. And uh, I really anticipate, uh, I don't want to say a shot to the moon, but, Mid-level increase, I mean, single digits, maybe a 5 6 7% increase, you would think. But so, so you, you just, you're going to have all these, again, that certain model year range being traded in. So when you said key, key, key takeaway would be watching the values of uh, those model years. And, and not only that, but buying, buying them appropriately. I just said a minute ago, you know what happens when we have too much of one model. 
or one model a year or whatever it may be. I mean, that just, it's how fast or, or it's a race to the bottom. The key takeaways from 2017 would just be the continuation of the disposal of corn heads. You know, I don't think it's wise for any one of us to go out and buy a corn head more than whatever the last week's auction value is. Now, that being said, uh, again, the later models, 14, 15, 16, 17s, I think that's a different story. But that certain certain range there, we all, all just need to be careful. I hear you on all that stuff. It's that, that model year of especially combines, like you're saying, between you know 12 13 14 stuff like that i mean it's just uh it's kind wow. of it's kind of a new a new era you know i think a lot of guys have kept machines longer than that i'm looking at machines from the same years uh, of use that have more hours on them now so they're they're than they had in the past you know so i'm watching that and yeah, i'm seeing yeah. that the hours that we're looking at aren't they're bigger numbers but if you just look at the hours of use per year that's a way up from what it was you know four or five years ago it's surprising even with the extra hours considering everybody bought and bought themselves it seems like an extra combine yeah but yet you're getting more hours per year it seems but you know you mentioned the s series you know that that is a scary thought a little bit uh just from the standpoint uh, i mean on tractor house uh, the other day there's over a thousand s670s used ones you know and that's just tractor house there's over a thousand s680s yeah um just like in their red side, I'm a red dealer. I mean, you just got certain models, George. There's just so many of them out there, and you, and you just you just have to be cautious. The farmer, unfortunately, is paying more. Um, but it again, it's business 101. Uh, if if you know where the end result is, why do something different? Or if you're, a, I don't want to say no, but if you're a pretty good idea what the end result is, uh, you got to buy appropriately. Yep, absolutely. But, you know, I'll give you a, a good example. I was listening to a podcast over the weekend um, from uh, Rabo Bank, and there's a data analyst, analyst they have. His name is Sterling Lydell, and he, he had a pretty good article talking about how customers in 2018, 2019, that they're, they're going to start having to do some, some decisions with their, with their equipment because a lot of that stuff that they have is – pretty much maturing whether it was on a lease or they you know they do their their note uh, a typical note that they might have on it a lot of that stuff will be maturing in 2018 and 2019 so he, his whole point was how the how the payment structure will affect ability to make profit and what that looks like and 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 mm-hmm. when is the right time for them to buy machinery and stuff like that so if you get a chance to check that out i would i would highly recommend anyone listening to that, listening to this to go check that out but um it's called farm strategies for a challenging ag economic environment it's really a, a really a good read so i would encourage anyone to go check that but the whole point of this deal his point was at what point is getting a new piece of equipment worth the financial burden that that comes along with that whether it be a used piece or, or a brand new piece and that's something that, that everyone that's that's in the equipment business needs to understand and start having that conversation with your customer of you know, when do you think you're going to trade this stuff out? What does that look like? When are you going to do it? So you can make sure that you have what they need to have, what, what they want anyway, um, when it comes time to trade. And, again, that kind of goes back to that whole making a plan thing. Man, having a partnership and having the hard conversations. We'll get back to Casey and Don in a moment, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible, Iron Solutions. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. 
Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operation, improve productivity, reduce costs, and speed your growth. Casey and Don started their conversation talking about the auction market and how customers are reacting to crop prices as well as machinery prices. Here's Casey with more details about his Moving Iron podcast. Hello, I'm Casey Seymour, and I want to thank Farm Equipment Magazine for partnering with me to bring you the Farm Equipment Podcast Series, Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmap. The podcasts are taken from my weekly podcast, Moving Iron Podcast. Moving Iron Podcast is a podcast designed for ag equipment dealers by ag equipment dealers. The weekly podcast focuses on current events and trends across the ag equipment marketplace in North America. Along with dealers, I interview the biggest names in the ag industry. Chip Nellinger of Blue Reef Ag and Marketing is a regular guest talking about commodity markets and risk management. You can also hear guests like Greg Machinery Pete Peterson and Tyne Morgan of the U.S. Farm Report. If you are in the ag equipment business or have an interest in the ag equipment business, this is a must listen for you. You can find the podcast at movingironllc.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. Also at movingironllc.com, you can find information on the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from the Moving Iron blog. Throughout the year, there will be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. You can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, or you can find me on LinkedIn. And if you would like, you can send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Thanks, Casey. Let's get back to the program now and listen in as Casey and Don discuss the leasing market and if it's had any impact on the used equipment market and whether or not we're out of the woods yet. Don also offers his outlook on used equipment trends for 2018 and the lessons learned from 2017. I'll ask you a question from the standpoint of leasing. I know that's been on a few of your podcasts, but uh, for as much as we've been saying that this uh, big blood is coming, I mean, there just has not been this huge... I mean, we got our partners, our manufacturers that are trying to get us to take some of these things, as I'm sure on the deer side too, but do you see, uh, are you seeing, I guess maybe that's my question to you, are you seeing that glut coming at you? Mm. You know, if you would ask me that same question in 2016, I would have said, oh man, Mm -hmm. this is just going to be catastrophic and we're going to we're all gonna we're all gonna drown you know what i mean um i had the same a same answer casey (laughs) but i mean i don't i don't know if it's just you know maybe i'm not seeing the whole picture or whatever it is but it seems like that whole frame of that whole mindset of oh my god we got all these leases returns what are we gonna do um i don't i don't see that as much of an issue now now all that being said 2016 and 2017 even 2015 for that matter there were a lot of of two and three year leases that were written um across the board and granted there were a lot of one year leases in that mix as well but there were a lot of two and three year leases so if someone you know i kind of anticipate that maybe maybe in 2018 we start seeing more of this stuff kind of flow in than we've seen than we've already seen and maybe maybe 2018 2019 is is more of a um more more of an issue that we're going to have to deal with uh, just because of what's coming home to roost at that in those, in those months now, i don't i'm just guessing here i don't have any solid you know yeah, hard, I, hard I, proof I, about that but that's kind of my feel of what i see happen with the leasing market that there's maybe right now it feels pretty good because we're working through a lot of one and one year leases that are coming through and if you look at how they're you know 
their price in the marketplace you know from a year ago they're probably in a lot better position than a lot of those stuff that was written in you know 13 14 15 that were mm-hmm. two three four five year leases um back then when the pricing was really high and really good the markets were strong and now they're coming back in and they might be whatever 20 or 30 percent higher than where they should be and how that's affecting the market well, I know that, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm impressed a little bit from the, again, from the red side. I mean, there's been a, a little bit of a partnership type thing of the, from the manufacturer or the capital with the dealerships trying to chew through those. I think the finance companies have uh, bit the bullet a little bit. I think um, some dealers, again, back, you talked earlier about shortages to where some places where we might be short to where it's a, a good situation. I don't think we're out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. I still think that there's uh, still some glut coming. And I think any time that you try to kick that can down the road, that someday you you have to pay the piper. Mm -hmm. But with all that being said, I mean, us as dealers, I mean, us as an industry are are really poised to – I'm not, again, not shoot to the moon, but you, there's going to be some growth there in 18. Overall, you see more and more dealers. Their inventory levels might be a little bit high in some areas, but overall, uh, and you just got to be optimistic uh, about what 18, 19 are going to bring us because uh, bring, not just us, but bring the farmers. I think the yields this past year, at least up in our area, was was uh, better than most people expected. doesn't mean that they uh, uh, went out and bought a new house and may have had a little summer or winter trip, but uh, they maybe came closer to break even than what they anticipated at the beginning of the year. Yeah, we're the same way. I mean, I think across the board, I don't care where you're looking at it. It seems like every time a uh, a new USDA report comes out, crop report comes out, there's just <laughs> they found another half a million bushels somewhere, you know, and, and yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. they keep raising the, the average acre uh, production report. They keep, they keep raising that up, so Unfortunately, when we have these big banner crops like this, yeah, bushels are great, and more guys, as many guys buy on bushels as they do buy on on profit, but god dang, it seems like we just can't, I don't want to say catch a break by not producing a crop, but I mean, we need somewhere in the world we need to have some kind of shortage needs to happen to kind of get this thing to rebound, because we're sitting on... God, we're sitting on all kinds of stuff down here, um, and I'm sure you're the same way up there where there's just mountains of corn and wheat and everything else piled up all over the place. But that's where we're at. And Argentina and Brazil keep on having good years. They keep on having record crops. Uh, we have record crops. I mean, it's population, uh, they keep on talking about how that population is growing, but we're just not. Yeah. Our uh, storage levels keep rising. Yep. And that's that. That's a testament to to these hybrids that they're making now. I mean, this year wasn't right. the best growing situation for a lot of folks. I mean, there wasn't like banner weather across the corn belt by any means. I mean, they was either too wet or too dry, and yet they they yeah. pretty much produced a record crop. You know, so it's it's a it's a testament to to the to the American farmer and and, and also the the genetics that they're planting in the ground. So I don't know, man. It's it's a I, uh, I, I, it's crazy. I, I had some guys out west. Uh, uh, I mean, barely any rain, and they still had forty bushel beans. Yeah, and you're talking about the genetics. I mean, you no, know, you can't sustain that, and you you don't want to plan your farming from the standpoint of no rain. But uh, you are right there, a testament to the genetics and the research and the, and the things that have that have occurred in the ag industry. Yeah. Quite a testament. It's quite amazing what they're able to do these days. So let's jump into. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
what you think about 2018. So let's get out your crystal ball that everyone gets issued when you become a youth equipment manager of any kind. Um, some work better than others. But when you take a look at 2018, what do you see as maybe some bright spots or, or some trends that you see kind of taking, taking form now? Oh, trends. I think the, you know, the four wheel drive sprayer, um, I think that's going to rebound a little bit. I uh, possibly some planners, uh, kind of, uh, not gang buses there, but a little pent up demand on the planners. I think four wheel drives, uh, and I think comma is just out of necessity, but the, you know, the key, I, I just think the absolute key for dealerships in 2018 is stay disciplined. Uh, I mean, we just, <laughs> we've all experienced the last three, four years of trying to get rid of aged inventory. And, and, uh, we just, we, we just got to stay disciplined. We can't get caught up in the euphoria of, of the good times again. And again, I mentioned a percentage earlier and, and that's, we might be even flat in next year. It's just uh, we're flat is better than what it has been, you know, so we get kind of pretty optimistic. But uh, I'm, I'm anticipating 2018 to, as far as dealerships, uh, maybe uh, a little bit better conversations um, within the halls of the, of the stores. You know, you still anticipate your parts and service revenue to, to continue to grow a little bit just from the standpoint of the aged inventory out there with a few bright spots that I mentioned, maybe the combines, four-wheel drive sprayers, um, maybe even the four-wheel drives. I mean, you look at the four-wheel drive inventory, not a ton of it out there, not a lot of four-wheel drives that have been sold. Uh, the last couple of months, they've really picked up there. You've seen some pretty large jumps in the new four-wheel drive sales and new combine sales. So I guess those would be the bright spots. I'll echo most of that. I mean, my big trend that I see happening in 2018 is going to be planners. I think there's a lot more planners out there than, than what guys are, are probably seeing. And just because of most new planners that got sold in basically 2014, 2015 was really the last couple big years of planner sales. Um, 16, 17 obviously haven't been um, slammed, you know, home runs by any means or slam dunks or anything like that. But yeah. um, I think there's going to be some some demand for those higher technology use planners than we've seen in the past and and i'll i'll uh, echo your combine comment i mean i think a lot of combine sales that you're going to see this year aren't going to be because they want to it's because they have to and they're Correct. gonna they're right. either gonna have to keep it and make a a huge shop bill payment or they are going to trade it off and and um start all over again so um had a conversation with some of our shop folks the other day where they were saying like we've seen more catastrophic failures this this corn harvest than we've than we've ever seen and a lot of that is just guys have been doing just what they have to do just to get by um when it comes to keeping their machines up to date and and mechanically sound and i don't blame them i wouldn't have to i wouldn't do any more than i would have to and and um but a lot of two a lot of things being considered a lot of these combines have a lot more hours on them than we've seen in the past and you know you start looking at some of these four or five year old combines that have got 1500 or or even 1700 separator hours and that's just not i don't remember seeing that when i first started doing this that a four-year-old combine would have that many no. hours on it and and now we're we're starting to see that so it just shows that they're using the machinery more and they're squeezing every ounce of of profit potential out of those units as whereas in the past they didn't necessarily do that. Well, I think that um, 
you mentioned the hours a minute ago. I mean, remember a few years back, I mean, you're trading combines five, 600 hours. It's pretty easy to find the next guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, even at uh, eight, 900 hours, you can still find that next guy. But now as you, you know, as people can hold on their equipment longer, uh, partly because they have to, partly because dealers were loaded up. Um, but now you're, as you just said, 13, 14, 15, 1600 hours for a combine. And now try to find that next buyer because that next buyer, either a is the one fixing it right. or you got to uh, get the money out of the guy that's trading it in. I know we have a particular program called uptime that, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I still think, or, or I think there'll be some continued growth in the parts and service is our uptime thing has been pretty dark, gosh darn good program, but there's just, you know, if that, if that boot figure is too large for the next combine, he is going to have to spend that 20, 25, $30,000 through the shop. Mm-hmm. It's just that, that, that next step because they haven't traded in three, four or five years or even th- yeah, three or four or five years uh, is going to be larger than what they're used to, you know? And so you're going to have that one guy that maybe can't do that and will actually go through that program to uh, repair his combine. The one thing that scares me a lot about, especially when you talk about combines, for example, is the guy that doesn't have his machine paid for, and he has a twenty or thirty thousand dollars shop bill on top of his forty or fifty or sixty thousand yeah. payment they have. You know, so how does that affect their their cash flow, and what does that look like, and what what is the overall effects to their to their business when you start? throwing in those kinds of, because it's not just combines i mean you're looking at you're looking at some four-wheel drives they're gonna need some extensive reconditioning and you know you're gonna look at your planners planners you know air seeders those kind of things a lot of those are running you know how they've ran four or five seasons now and normally they've traded them off twice by then you know so now we're right here we right. are looking at some some reconditioning costs so i think my trend line you know looking at that is that there's a lot of sales that are going to be made in 2018 based solely on because they have to, not because they want to, and it's it's a dollars and cents perspective of of how that cash, how it's going to affect their cash flow on the farm. Uh, I, I would agree, but I, in I would I would agree with that statement from the standpoint they have to. But it, it is us as dealers stay disciplined and be a partner to that farmer, and maybe just get them the one piece that they might need rather than try to sell them three or four. Right. You know, because that cash flow, if they're not profitable, we're not profitable. Taking a look back at 2017. What are some lessons that you learned that either are good stuff that you're going to continue on into 2018 or you're never going to do again? Oh, boy. Never do again. <laughs> never, uh, never is a really long time. Never make, yeah. Never, yeah, never make the same mistakes. Um, you know, what do you learn from 2017? I would just, you know, what we won't never do again is not have a uh, a thing in place as far as how we – go out and buy equipment, you know, that, uh, rather than hope, you know, have a plan, uh, rather than chase that. I mean, yes, you still go out and get market share. You still got to populate the, uh, your trade areas, but just be maybe smarter about it. Don't do something just because of market share uh, again, back to having that plan. So I think what we won't do again is, is we won't buy something without a plan. We won't buy something without without conversations, uh, without more people involved. So I would say that's probably one of the big things from 2017 that we won't do again. Lessons learned, almost the same thing. You know, the lessons learned is that making sure that we don't have too much of one category. 
again, going back to that planning, going back to being fully aware of, uh, of what you're buying and what you have in inventory and what value is that inventory. Uh, we just seen over and over again of having too many of one model, whether it be a model number and or model year and everybody's out there buying it, but you get to a level to where you're, you're, it's just, just like a too much crop, right? Right. If you have too much crop, the you're, there's no profit, too much equipment, uh, no profit doesn't help out anybody. For me, what I, what I'm going to take into 2018 is being more strategic when it comes to new or used equipment, either one. And when I say used, one of our biggest problems we have right now from it is, is an inventory situ, uh, situation that does not basically pertain to having too much inventory. We don't have enough inventory in the right spot. So, again, back to the washout cycle stuff, and uh, as, as big as proponent that I am of, of understanding your washout cycle, I let that slip. And that that would be, um, we don't have enough equipment in our used inventory right now to fill the gaps to complete our washout cycle. So that's something I'm always going to be, I never had that problem before, so I didn't really look at, you know. So now all of a sudden we have this issue of not being able to, not being able to draw in the right customers to get or gain the, the equipment that you, that, that you need to, to fill those holes up. So. Moving forward in 2018, that's going to be a higher priority of mine of, of watching that and making sure I understand where we're at in that, in that timeline across our entire inventory. Um, things that we won't do again, you know, I, I just think that we've done enough. We need to be a little more strategic on how we look at prospecting our customers. And, again, that's something I need to be driving down to, uh, to the store level with call reports and, and prospecting reports and, and making sure our guys understand where we're at in the marketplace and what what seems to be you know the trend lines look like um i need to do a better job of that too so i think overall it's just kind of it's just it's weird to you just hear to say this but i need to restructure my thinking one more time from what it's been over the past couple of years i just it, it you know to echo your comments i mean having a plan yep. as you just said uh, strategic about it maybe slow down the process Right. You know, right. Yeah. Uh, don't run and don't run and grab. Just uh, okay. Is this the right thing to do? Uh, enough. Get enough people involved and have a having a plan. Yep. I just think that's what we all have to get back to: simple, basic business. Yep. Then it's you know being creative, thinking outside the box, being you know trying to be one step ahead of, of everybody around you, so that you can you know step back and and see everything around you before you start making a bunch of decisions and and i i think that as an industry we're doing that um some of us still are kind of doing th that with an idea that they're going to be able to do the same thing every time though and it's not working for them and they can't understand why so us as an industry i, I mean competition is good uh, but at the end of the day with our shrinking customer base we all we, the more we work with each other Yep. The more that we report to certain things, uh, the better off it is for all of us because we're all using most of the same tools to value our equipment, uh, including our internal sold data, which is, I think, number one. But, uh, I mean, we all need to work better together, Yep. I guess, I think would be my wish for 2018. Yep. No, I, th I would agree. I have as many 
case in New Holland contacts that I talk with as I do John Deere guys that I talk with. I mean, it's just, you got to know, you got to know what's going on and, and we need to know how we can, you know, if I got a case piece and you got a John Deere piece, then let's work together to help each other out on those things and, and what that look, what that looks Well, when like. you find that magic bullet that immediately gets rid of all of our used equipment, make sure that we have uh, uh, margins on our new equipment, but more margins on our used equipment, uh, you call me up, okay? Yep. Well, I've got it. I've got it all figured out, uh, Don. I just haven't decided to use it so. yet. So. <laughs> well, I look forward to the day. All right. Well, before we close it down, do you have any anything final you'd like to say to the uh, to everyone listening to this podcast? Stay disciplined. Work with your fellow dealers, and remember that customer needs to be profitable for us to be profitable. Thanks, Casey and Don. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all our informational channels, including an Ask the Expert feature on our website, where you can ask him your questions directly. Check it out at farm-equipment.com backslash askthexpert. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably. While Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. We hope you'll tune in with us for our next episode when Casey sits down with Trent Hummel from the Western Equipment Dealers Association's Dealer Institute. For Casey and Don, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.